You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Super wild card weekend has come and gone. Uh, we had a couple, I guess, favorites as bookends. And then uh, I guess the rest of it were the, the dogs covered. And we're some pretty damn good game. One score games across the board. So nice weekend of football. I mean, just, you know, s- Saturday, Sunday, Monday was just packed wall to wall and was uh a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch. So we'll do a lot of the same this week. We'll look, we'll look back a little bit at the wild card games. We'll look ahead to the divisional round, make some picks as well. So let's bring in Alex Kaftoff, my partner here. And Alex, you know, as far as the weekend was concerned, what kind of stuck out to you? Well, we got to start with that. I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, I would call it a debacle. We could call it a comeback. I mean, we we could call don't it, call it a comeback. We could call it one of the greatest comebacks of all time in playoff history, and it's certainly going to go down like that. But you also would call it a huge disaster for the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, how else would you call it? And when you have a lead, twenty-seven to nothing, all you have to do is kind of just snap the ball, you know, with 10 seconds left on the clock each time, run the ball a little bit more, and then you would probably secure the win because it's a huge way to go for the Jaguars to try to get and make enough possessions. But, you know, the Chargers' defense was really good in the first half. I mean, they forced, what, five turnovers? They they forced four inter- interceptions. Asante Samuel had three picks, you know, by himself. The Chargers' offense wasn't good enough. It wasn't only in the second half. They blew a couple of things in the first half, as far as I'm concerned. They didn't punch it in. They didn't get a touchdown. You know, Justin Herbert missed Keenan Allen in the end zone, which would have given him another touchdown, and he just he kind of sailed the ball pretty high. So when the defense gives you such a short field and you convert 27 points in the first half, but... In the second half, I mean, the Chargers' offense just continued to be bad. It was atrocious play calling. They called too many pass plays, not enough run plays, allowed too much you know, time on the clock to let the Jags get back into it. The head coach should lose his job because usually they do after debacles like this, but it seems like the Chargers just let the, the offensive staff go, the offensive coordinator, and the, the quarterbacks go. Sounds like somebody that picked the Chargers as their lock of the week. I did. I did. And I I keep regretting it every time I do. I keep going back to that well. And it's just it never pays off for me. You're not. Yeah. I mean, you're not the only one. I mean, it's a it's just it's just the the Chargers charger. You know, we just say this, you know, in the AFC West all the time, the Chargers charger and the Raiders Raider. Somehow, some way they find a way to even screw up the easy things. Listen, I think first off, Trevor Lawrence now has announced himself as a badass, and he is the next one of these quarterbacks. You can't tell me. I mean, most guys, I would say 90% of quarterbacks after throwing four picks in the first half would not have 
would not have had the, I don't know if it was the confidence, the bravado, just the, the, uh, the amnesia, if you would, and just come out and then put up one of the best halves you'll ever see a quarterback have. And Doug Peterson called a masterful game. I think he was calling a pretty decent game in the first half. Just the ball was, you know, Trevor just wasn't, wasn't, uh, I don't know. It wasn't hitting on things. They tried to hit a lot of stuff underneath. And even the announcers uh, were saying, and I think it was, who was it? Uh, uh, Tony Dungy and uh, was, was, was with them? Al Michaels. Al Michaels. Yeah. They brought Al Michaels back to NBC for the one game. So it was their first time booth. Al and Tony, and they, they were saying where the you could see them choking down on the underneath stuff, and Lawrence was being a little stubborn trying to get it in there and throwing the picks. But to come back and just have five consecutive scoring drives, um, and like you said, Alex, it's true. They the the Chargers, even though they scored 27, I think they left about eight to ten points on the field. And when they the punt went off of the guy's head uh, and they got the recovery, their first and goal at the seven, and they settled for three there, it's almost like it was telling. If at any point, I don't know if I would have gone for it, but at any point you'd think now's the time to really get aggressive here. Let's Let's go for the kill shot. And he did. I mean, he had Keenan Allen wide open. And I don't know if there was hands up in front of, uh, you know, in front of the quarterback or or what was going on, but he just airmailed it. I mean, seriously. I mean, Keenan Allen was wide open. He could have underhanded it, some whatever, but sails it over his head. So you can go back to so many different plays, but just what I took from that was that with that, the end of the first half. Beginning of, beginning of the second, through the end of the game, Trevor Lawrence announced, hey, I'm the next guy. You want to say Mahomes, you want to say Allen, you want to say Burrow. Some people might throw Herbert in there. I don't know, but I think Lawrence kind of said, hey, I'm the guy. Whether it's the fourth guy, the fifth guy, I'm going to be a guy in that conversation. And you got to give him and Peterson a lot of credit and the rest of the team for not just kind of folding it up. It just, you know, again, I'm, I'm feeling because it was the Chargers, whatever, as the first half is closing, uh, they get the score. All of a sudden, that's 27 to 7. You're thinking this should have been at least 35 nothing. And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, if anybody could blow this, you know, you hit all the points, you know, what you're supposed to do. The Chargers just seem to be a collection of talented players. I don't know that they have a real identity. Um, and Joey Bosa, man, dude, come on. I don't care what the refs are doing. He just, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that Peterson would have gone for two in that situation. And but for the half the distance, now it's a one yard play. Uh, but still, you just can't lose your composure like that. I mean, that's just, you know, a veteran, whatever. Maybe he was being held the whole game. Whatever you want to say, he didn't really have that big of impact on the game. I didn't hear his name very often called. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. And like you said, Lombardi and Shane Day, the quarterback coach, 
assistant, whatever he is, they're out. Staley keeps his job. And again, this is another move where you can say the Chargers are charging. They're going to double down on the guy that's making questionable decisions and how they manage games. But I think this is a good move because of some of the play calling and so forth. Maybe he doesn't really tinker with it too much and leaves it to those guys. Maybe they get you know one of these young guys to come in and just revitalize the whole thing and get Justin Herbert on the right track of being you know one of those five guys. I just think the offense is the problem, and Staley is a defensive coach. They need to, they needed to bring in an offensive minded coach. Peyton would have been a nice touch there. I'm sure any coach in his right mind. Sean Payton included, would love to work with someone like Justin Herbert. That would be the job that you would salivate over. Yeah, oh, I'm sure he, he has. He moved to L.A. Right? He lives I mean, in Manhattan been, Beach. I mean, he lives he's, like a half an well, hour away I mean, away he's from working. He's working. He's working for Fox, right? And he was he was on with Cowherd the other day. And quite honestly, I... You know, I don't like, you know, a lot of these, you know, just kind of head to head debates and a lot of people screaming. I like watching when Cowherd has, you know, these different guests on, whether it's Mark Sanchez, uh, Wit, Big Wit was on a few times during the season, but he had uh, Sean Payton on consistently, not every week, but most weeks. He was on this past week. I, I think it was, I want to say it was, it was either yesterday, maybe it was Monday. I don't, yeah, I think maybe it was Monday. But anyway, he's like openly talking about, uh, you know, he talked about the games, but then he's talking about his situation, his, his job prospects and conversations he's had with Mickey Loomis since, you know, since this all has come up and, you know, uh, potential compensation for him, even saying words out loud, like a mid to late first round pick will be, would be the compensation. And it's just very forthcoming, very honest. And it's just, I mean, to me, I love that kind of stuff where, you know, you get that guy that is regarded as one of the best coaches in the sport and he doesn't have a job currently coaching and he's talking about things and just a lot of the stories he related, a lot of just game situations and how they would do things when he was at New Orleans was just priceless if you just want to hear a lot about what the inner workings of a football game, a football team, and just the organization. So wanted to get that out there. All right. How about your game? Seattle at San Francisco. Seattle comes out. Hey, looks like, you know, divisional opponent, uh, third matchup. You know, there was two other situations that this happened and they turned out to be one score games. The underdog looked like was, you know, was probably might have a chance to win those two games, but San Francisco kind of comes out the second half and just lays the smack down on them. And uh, yeah, I was, I was there for it. Loved San Francisco. What do you are in watching Purdy now? Do you, are you getting the sense that he's kind of going over and above just being that game manager, he's actually making plays outside of the X's and O's. It seems like to me, he is. I mean, I like the fact that he didn't get off to a great start. He persevered. 
and he showed that he's capable of fighting through it, uh, fighting through, you know, some plays, some tough times. I mean, he got flushed out of the pocket a couple of times, and he was able to, to find the open man. He improvised, and he made the big play. So I, I hate using that word game manager. I mean, I always hated to use that word, whether it comes, whether it's, in regards to Brock Purdy or the the past quarterbacks, I just I don't like it. I mean, he's a quarterback that gets the job done within the offensive system. He's doing the best job that he can running this Kyle Shanahan system, and he's doing it better than Jimmy Garoppolo was doing. Well, in or, this, in the, I just wanted, to, yeah, I just wanted to say in this particular context, Alex, the reason I use it is because one, he wasn't expected to be there. Two really probably limited reps through OTAs, training camp, everything else. But so you would almost expect, hey, just do the play, whatever plays called or whatever, make those. But what I'm noticing is that like six games in now, he's making plays on his own. He's showing that he's not just that, you know, bad word or bad term game manager he's making some plays like like you said you know getting out of the pocket and even within the pocket some of the moves and i don't want to compare him to to patrick mahomes but there was a couple of plays in the red zone that kind of reminded me of something that patrick might do and he makes the little spin out he gets himself out, and I th- was it Ayuk or somebody, he hit it and he just dropped it. But just the way he did it and then the arm angle, the whole thing, it just, to me, shows that his confidence level, his command is to a point now where he feels not just comfortable doing those things, but empowered to do those things by Shanahan and just like, hey, you know, you be you, not just, hey, you run my plays. It's like, if you see something, go right ahead. Well, Brock Purdy threw for 332 yards. That's the second most ever for a rookie in the playoffs. Russell Wilson is the one that that set the record at 385 yards in a loss to Atlanta 10 years ago. So, I mean, that just shows you something. I mean, the guy has been gaining confidence with each game. He wasn't supposed to be here. But to me, I'm seeing a quarterback that feels more comfortable than than Trey Lance looked in this system. Or even Jimmy Garoppolo, who has run this system for a few years as a starting quarterback. And Purdy is doing some things that are kind of expanding it. And I think Kyle Shanahan is is giving him, like you said, more confidence to operate within the system. He's taking the handcuffs off, and I love that. I mean, in that regard, when you face a team a third time during the season, when you're in the same division, the Seahawks with Pete Carroll, a a very experienced team, especially a defensive team that, that knows how to attack a rookie quarterback, and at first it looked like they had some success, right? They, they stayed with them. But then, again, the 49ers persevered. You see those weapons with McCaffrey, with Samuel, with Ayuk. I mean, that's a lot of playmakers out there with Kittle. Purdy has a lot at his disposal. And it's going to be a tough game against the Cowboys, no question about it. But 
There's something about this 49ers team. They found their quarterback of the future. They're not going back to Garoppolo. They're not going back to Trey Lance. Purdy is their quarterback moving forward. And once again, it just shows me that as much scouting as NFL teams do, they, they dissect these prospects. I mean, they put them through the grind. They watch the film. They go to the scouting combine. They watch their pro days. But these guys, and quarterbacks in particular, just slip through the cracks. I mean, Brock Purdy started for four years. I think about 48 games at Iowa State. He wasn't the best prospect out there, but he's won a lot of games. At Iowa State, that hasn't been doing anything before you know Matt Campbell got there and Brock Purdy. You can make a case for a lot of things as far as him not having the strongest arm or a good enough size, but the guy was accurate and the guy won a lot of games. And a few quarterbacks went before him that I felt didn't deserve to be drafted before Brock Purdy. Come on, Mr. Irrelevant. And the 49ers just basically lucked out. It seems like Brian Greasy was really impressed with Brock Purdy, and he felt that he probably won't be around. It would be hard to secure his services in the undrafted free agent market, so they drafted him. Teams still don't do a good enough job scouting these players, scouting quarterbacks. Uh, You could say all you want that he's in a very good system, system that utilizes his strengths, Absolutely. No question about it. When he went there and was drafted by the 49ers, I told you on this show that this is a great spot for him. And I think Purdy is going to be an excellent backup quarterback, right? For for 10 or 12 years. Well, here we are as a rookie and he's lighting it up right now. He's just, he can't lose, Lou. Well, a few things you said struck a chord. Uh, one, I it, it's, you don't know how some of these guys are going to react once they get into a situation, right? Uh, It's hard to foresee once they become a professional and now this is their job, how they're going to react to the pressure and everything else that goes along with it. Would Purdy have been as successful if he was installed as the starter day one? Probably. I mean, because we're seeing, we're, we're seeing what's happening, but He also had the advantage of watching Jimmy G operate things for what, six or seven, six or seven weeks. Uh, You mentioned Brian Greasy, who Jesus, I mean, we don't, we hear all about Shanahan and what he's doing with these quarterbacks, but he's the quarterbacks coach. I got to believe some of what's happening here. He has to do, has something to do with, um, and then Purdy, where he was drafted, everything else, what he did at Iowa State. Yeah, I we're way, way ahead of ourselves here. But man, I mean, you think of Tom Brady, I mean, there's a lot of parallels, you know, Midwestern school, but you know, Brady kind of had to scratch and claw his way while he was there. I think he one of the guys he scratched and clawed with was Brian Greasy and Drew Henson and everybody else. But taken, you know, very late in the draft, you know, he was a six pick, goes, gets his chance to play when the starter is injured and just took off with it. You're saying they found their quarterback of the future. The parallels are, you know, I mean, you have a really good defensive team, but I think Purdy is showing a lot more uh, capabilities than, than Brady did early on. 
And again, I don't want to keep going through this comparison, but it just seems like eerily similar. And if somehow he leads them to the Super Bowl and they win it, I I don't care how much draft capital you, you used on Trey Lance. This is a done deal. I mean, there's this is it. He's the starter. Uh, Jimmy G will find another home. And then Trey Lance, we may have another Jordan Love on our hands. Well, I mean, the uh, the 49ers director of player personnel was just hired as the Titans GM. They're certainly yeah, in the market for Brand, a, a quarterback. Carthon, yeah. I understand that they're probably in the market for a quarterback. I understand that they drafted Malik Willis in the third round, but there might be a possibility there that, that Trey Lance might have a future there. I just can't. They used, they used a guy in their last two games that they had for like a week over Malik Willis. So, yeah, I think there's a big possibility there. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, there's still a long way to go. Uh, Dallas Cowboys certainly look good against the Tampa Bay Bucks, which probably were the worst playoff team to make it uh, in the 2023 playoffs. I think, you know, the, the Bucks just basically won by default in the NFC South. And, you know, we and I said that, you know, when we taped the show last week, all I could hang my hat hat on was Tom Brady is the quarterback of this team. And he'll somehow find a way to get this victory against the Dallas Cowboys. But that was the only thing that I could hang my hat on because the Dallas Cowboys were a better team. And they certainly proved that a lot of people were not in their corner. A lot of people were against them. But, you know, Dak Prescott was efficient. You know, he threw for, what, four or five touchdowns in that game? He didn't throw any picks. The offensive line protected, and the defense rose to the charge. And it was just, it was an impressive win for the Cowboys, but I do take it with a grain of salt because they played against the Bucks, And in my opinion, the Bucks were lucky to get into the playoffs. Well, 2020 hindsight, you think, you look at it, and the Cowboys played like they did, for most of the season the bucks played the way they played for most of the season and really everything else in between and why you know maybe why the number was so low uh brady seven and zero against the cowboys you mentioned yeah uh, yeah it's tom brady that's really all you could hang how do you bet against brady as a home dog you know whatever dallas looked like crap last week or the last game they played against washington you know all these different factors but the bottom line was dallas always was the better team and you were almost hoping if you took tampa that mike mccarthy would get a chance to make or not make a huge decision during the game now you got to give him all the credit in the world he got his team up on a in a road playoff game to go play and they dominated from the get-go sure there was a couple of series they go three and out you're seeing oh my god this is going to be like a 10-7 game whatever but then once they got rolling you knew that was it. It was a done deal at halftime, I believe. I didn't see anything that Tampa was doing that was going to, you know, to be consistent in any way. Whatever little run game they thought, or they they sat uh, for net for for weeks, you know, hoping they'd get playoff Lenny. I, maybe they handed the ball to him a couple of times. Rashad White 
you know, hit a couple of runs, but then that they shut that down and it was all Brady chucking 66 passes. The dude's 45 years old. Okay. Yeah. He's still pretty good, but what are you doing? Honestly. So that's again, hindsight is 2020. I did not pick the Cowboys, you know, in my picks, but wow. I mean, if you just, just looking at it and being objective, both teams kind of laid out what they were all year now. And I agree with you. You got to take it with a grain of salt. They're going to play, you know, a defense that's just coming in smoking. They're playing an offense that has an identity that obviously the quarterback is playing at a high level. You mentioned all the, all the different, uh, you know, weapons, it's going to be a much different thing. But but I guess the biggest takeaway here is that the kicker, Maher, looks like, you know, somebody like a like a, a golfer that just has the yips two feet in. They're like they're knocking it past the hole, over the hole, rimming in and out. That is a little concerning in a playoff game he missed his he missed the extra point against uh washington the only touchdown that they scored then he misses four in a row here they had a sure field goal inside you know inside the 20 and mccarthy says hey let's go for it and they score a touchdown on that play so it was just kind of like no big deal and he did make an extra point at the end but wow that's got to be very unsettling you know if you're potentially playing a close game on the road and it comes down to a kick. Are you going to feel okay sending them out there for like a 44 yard field goal with you know three seconds left to send it into overtime or to win it? I don't know. Yeah, that's going to be a, that's going to be a nightmare for both Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones in the booth. I mean, Jerry Jones might get a heart attack. I mean, getting a, you know, a guy out there sending him for a game-winning field goal, and he can't knock it through the, the you know, the the goalposts. And yeah, yeah just he was, that. He was setting up to the left and just pushing, you know, like three of them. Then all of a sudden, he like overcompensates and he yanks it. Then he hits the upright. It was just, it was hard to watch. I felt bad for him after a while. It's like, oh my god, are they just going to start going for two? I mean, if it would have been a tighter game, I think they would have. I think they would have, Lou. And speaking of the NFC East, I mean, the the Giants against the Vikings. Uh, it's it's you did pick the Giants to to win this game, and they did. They they pulled it out. And looking at the way Daniel Jones played in a playoff game, I mean, it makes you think that he is their quarterback of the future. They should re-sign him tomorrow. They should give him an extension. He's pro- it's probably going to cost him a lot more, obviously, after they decline his fifth-year option. But that's probably the way to go to franchise tag Saquon to franchise, you know, Saquon Barkley, and to get a long-term deal with Daniel Jones because that seems to be the quarterback of the future that just made play after play against the Vikings, whether it was with his feet. Or his arm. It wasn't just three five-yard passes to Saquon Barkley or on those crossing routes. He was hitting the deep shots. He was confident off of those play-action passes. That look, Daniel Jones has looked like a different quarterback this year, but especially like the last three or four weeks of the season. He has just looked like a different animal, a guy that makes good decisions, that is taking care of the football. He's not fumbling. He's not throwing picks. 
And after this playoff run out here, whether it, it ends against the, the Eagles this week, you have to extend him. This is their quarterback of the future, you know, for at least the, the next three to five years. Okay. Now, if we would have talked about that, and we did talk about it you know, at the beginning of the season, if we played that versus what we're saying now, You'd be like, what do you guys, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, this guy's this, he's that, whatever. And he just, and it's not just the way he's playing, Alex. It seems to me like his whole body language is different. He looks, he looks bigger. He looks stronger. He looks faster. Like you said, the, they've cut out the turnovers. I mean, night and day. I mean, so when people say that, you know, you know, the pros, the coaching, no, coaching matters. Where you end up matters as a quarterback, you know, who you have there supporting you. D Brian Dayball has been training for this his entire life. He's been with championship organizations, you know, with New England, uh, national championship uh, offensive coordinator with Alabama. And what he did with Josh Allen, because it was not pretty those first couple of years with Josh Allen. You know, he was kind of like a, a wild colt, just, you know, all over the field, making huge plays, but then making really bad plays. And some might say he's kind of reverted a little bit to that this year. And But uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, I mean, this is uh, you, you got to love him. And how is how is Dave Gettleman right now? He's got to be sitting back drinking his scotch, smoking his cigar, thinking, man, if I could have just hired the right coach, because some of these guys that he's picked, Dexter Lawrence, and now you know Danny Dimes coming through, Saquon back to his old self after the injuries. And, you know, there's some other guys that he's that have done well too. But uh, wow. What, how, if you're Dave Gettleman, you just, you got to have a little bit of a smile on your face, don't you? Oh, he definitely has a smile on his face. You know, a guy who's been uh, criticized through the years, a guy who was booed for picking Daniel Jones at number six in that draft, he just, he picked the right guy. He just didn't pick the right coach to, to get him out there. He coaches. Was, coaches. And <laughs> the last one was Joe Judge, but I guess he should have gone with Brian Dable. But the way Dable developed Josh Allen and what you see how he has help develop Daniel Jones through this season. I mean, it's just, it does matter. Coaching does matter, Lou. I mean, we want yeah. to say all we want. You know, these guys are supposed to be these great quarterbacks coming from college, but I don't think they get enough coaching from this quarter from the quarterbacks coaches or the offensive coordinators. Nobody is, is giving them the proper, um, you know, the proper mechanics or the proper way of playing quarterback in the NFL. Only a few coaches can actually do it. And I think that it just shows to me that it's not as easy. You still need to get these guys. You draft them based off of their tools, but you still need to develop them. You still need to bring it out of them. And he's just, he's the quarterback whisperer, man. I mean, he is... Like I would, I would throw money at this guy right now to bring him in and coach my quarterback anywhere because I think this guy can solve and can rescue any quarterback right now that that's in dire need in the NFL. I just Brian Dable is just on, on a different level. He really is, and a lot of the credit just kind of goes goes to it because when you look at this team, it's the same team they had last year. 
Okay, and Andrew Thomas has become one of the best left tackles in the league after struggling the first couple of seasons of, of his career. Saquon Barkley had, you know, trouble with injuries. Daniel Jones didn't look like, you know, a, a capable enough starting quarterback. And, and look where they are right now. And I can certainly make a case that because the Giants are playing the Eagles for the third time this year, they've seen each other. They know everything there is to know about the team. I can make a case that the Giants can pull off this win against the Eagles because I think the Eagles are probably the most susceptible team to suffer a loss to uh, a lower seat. Well, that grain of salt we're taking with Dallas, I think we may also have to take with the Giants and you may pump the brakes a little bit because, again, two of his biggest performances have come against this Minnesota defense. Uh, you know, not to be the wet blanket, but yeah, he did look good, didn't turn it over and so forth. But a lot of those throws he's making, guys are wide open. Uh, and he is, man, Slayton had one where he dropped, where he's kind of kind of like dragging on the shallow cross and he put it right on him and he drops the ball. And so, you know, you talk about putting the game away. But here's but here's the thing. You know, the receivers, they paid a ton of money for Kenny Galladay. And the biggest play I think he made in the playoffs was a block on uh on, on, on Saquon Barkley's rushing touchdown around the left end. The guys that are doing it are, you know, a free agent from, from Buffalo, Isaiah Hodgins. So the, and that, and that's a theme with the giants as well. There's a lot of Buffalo flavor to this, not just Dable and Joe Shane, but some of the players Feliciano and Hodgins and, you know, some other guys that have made plays and that kind of maybe brought, you know, helped him build that culture, but the receiver, you know, Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins, you know, you would think who's, are they scaring anybody? Uh, Darius Slayton is just, he, he can be one of the best receivers in the league, you know, 60% 60% of the game, but then 40% of the game, you know, he's dropping balls. He's not running the right route and so forth. So, I mean, if there's some development that could be made, they can get a lot more out of Slayton. But uh, that grain of salt that I was referring to with Dallas would take that with the Giants too, just because, again, two of Daniel Jones's bigger, better performances this year have come against that Minnesota defense, and it was – awful that day so uh we'll watch that i agree with you there because the third time division opponent is no joke buffalo can attest to that miami goes screaming in there with their third team quarterback skylar thompson another one of these guys drafted in the seventh round forced into action not that he's done anything close to what brock purdy has done but he's uh, he he won the last game to get them into the playoffs. Now, albeit it was a horrible game, there was no touchdown scored, a bunch of field goals, and then a safety on the last play of the game. But somehow, I don't know if it was McDaniel, I don't know if it's the quarterback, whatever, but they stayed in that game. It looked like they were going to get run out of the building, 17 zip down, but they kept fighting, kept hanging. Uh, he made some plays. What surprised me is they didn't incorporate him uh, using his legs much. And if I recall from Kansas State, that was a decent part of his game. So I, I th- that surprised me a little bit that they didn't use him a little bit more using his legs. 
I thought they were going to run out of, they're going to get run out of the building. I thought that the Bills would just continue to pour in the points. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, they just, they come out of nowhere. They, they start getting field goals and they, they made a game out of it in the first half. If Jalen Waddle would have made a couple of those catches, you know, if he would have been able to hang on to those passes from, uh, uh, you know, from from the quarterback, that I think, you know, we would have, it might have been a different game, but it, it was it was a lot closer than I think anybody would have imagined. I certainly didn't think it was going to be, it was going to be like this, but you know, you got to give the credit to to the offense, uh, to those those playmakers, and for you know f- for the ability to kind of hang in there with the best team, as far as I'm concerned, in the NFL. And maybe this is a a test that the Buffalo Bills needed, kind of a wake up call, because early on it looked like they were just sleepwalking through the game. They're like, this is going to be a breeze. We're going to score like forty or fifty points on them. And the Dolphins aren't going to make this a game, but they certainly did. And, uh, you know, got to give them the credit. You got to give credit to to everybody on that team. And McDaniel, you know, had Miami Dolphins believing that they could win. Well, again, third time division opponent. The first two games were very close. Uh, I mean, Tua was a starting quarterback in both of them, and one of them, you know, we think he suffered a concussion, but it wasn't really diagnosed as one. Uh, the heat, I mean, you could see, you know, Josh Allen threw a ton of passes that game, and they just couldn't get out of their own way, and it was still close. Uh, and then Tua brings them up there uh, in, the, in the cold weather, the snow falling at the end of the game, but, you know, again, they couldn't get the job done when it was all said and done, but it came down to a field goal at the end. But this one here, again, you've got a lot of first-timers in the playoffs as far as players are concerned and coaches. Dable's first first game as a playoff coach. Well, and he seemed to have everything dialed in properly. McDaniel, some of the most difficult part of watching that game was the, the communication from head coach to quarterback to huddle. Now, again, he is a third string quarterback. It is very raucous crowd. Bill's mafia brings it, but it just seemed, I mean, they, they, they burned three timeouts because the play clock was always winding down. Uh, they had to take a penalty when it was fourth and one, it turns into a fourth and six. They don't convert the games over. They're down three at the time at midfield. So they were going to have a chance. They make that first down and just it turns into a fourth and six. You know, So that was the difficult part to watch and where those growing pains at the worst possible moments of that game were happening. And I'm sure McDaniel will learn from it. I'm sure Skylar Thompson will learn from it, the whole Dolphins team. But in the moment, it was just so hard to watch where it just seemed like every play, they're down. Even the plays they got off, it was the the play clock was under five seconds. And I don't think it was really by design to get down that close. So, yeah, the Dolphins were, but the Bills overall just sloppy. It it just seemed like you know it's boom or bust, and where for every just you know out of this world throw that Josh Allen made in the game, he also okay was we talked about Daniel Jones last year, all the fumbles, whatever. He gives them a touchdown at the beginning of the half 
the beginning of the second half on a sack. And I don't know, he just wasn't protecting the ball. They knock it out. They run it in for a touchdown. You know, the interceptions, I mean, just just sloppy. So like you said, I guess they needed a game like this. They got out of it. I think they're going to play much better this week against the Bengals. I think the Bengals are going to play much better than they did against Baltimore. But again, you've got that that common thread of the third time division opponent. So, yeah, that was just clock management, play calling, uh, the Bills being sloppy, but it was a close game, entertaining. But again, the difficulty, you just would have wished that the Dolphins could at very least got the plays called, got them off to give them a chance. It was hard enough with a third-team quarterback, but then you throw that part of it in, and it was just very – it just was almost like – it was only, felt like Peyton Manning. I, I, mean, I couldn't imagine sitting next to Peyton Manning watching this with it, some of his reactions during the Manning cast on ESPN. It was just incredible. So anyway, I speaking, digress. Speaking of play calling, I mean, what would you think of that play call by – calling a quarterback sneak with Tyler Huntley when you've got like, you know, J.K. Dobbins as, as your running back, as your workhorse. Why don't you give him the ball there instead of trying to jump on that quarterback sneak, that famous fumble by the Ravens and the Bengals score that 98-yard, you know, fumble recovery for a touchdown. I mean, I just thought that was atrocious. You need to have, yeah, I... you need to have the running backs in the game and you need to just punch it in. That's it. Har- Do it. Har- Harbaugh and Roman are going to have, you know, nightmares about that, you know, probably till they die. You know, quite frankly, these guys are football lifers. Um, and I think you know, Collinsworth made, you know, one of the most salient points during that fight. It was not so much that it was a quarterback sneak, but that from like almost two yards away, he decides to jump. Now, I don't know that that was the play call because typically when you bring those guys and they had like like two backs and a tight end in behind the quarterback. So it almost looked like one of those plays where they're going to come up and push Huntley through into the into the end zone. As soon as he jumps, all bets are off. Right. I mean, it's are they going to just like hoist them oh, and throw them in? I mean, that that really wasn't going to work. Now, if you are going to jump. You know, again, Collinsworth makes this point. You know, you want to try to spread the formation out so those linebackers aren't right there on the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, I mean, just do, I mean, it was the Bengals' fortune because that was the game right there. I mean, yeah, there was time on the clock, but you just had the sense that, okay, it, not that it was going to go one way or the other, but you thought, okay, the, the Ravens are going to score here. Okay, they're going to take the lead, and let's see what Joe Burrow can do behind this kind of ragtag offensive line that he's got left. But, yeah, that was just and, – and, again, you, you feel for the kid because he's doing everything he can. May, he probably wasn't even thinking ab- about the play call at that point. It was just like, oh, I'm just going to go over the top here and just kind of predetermine that. Um, but yeah, I thought Collinsworth really, really explained that really well in the moment immediately that that's just, if you are going to jump, spread it out. If you're going to do the push, do the push, don't jump. So yeah, that was, that was, and again, it turned out to be the game. I mean, a huge play by the Bengals defense. Again, what probably the most underrated defense in the entire playoffs. We talk about all these other defenses, 
they don't have a lot of big names, but it seems like game in, game out, guys are making plays and holding the other team to not a lot of points. So uh, they're going to have to hang their hat on that this weekend, that's for sure. Well, if Lamar Jackson would have been starting that game, the Ravens would have won. I'm convinced of this. And I'm going to be, just like everyone else, very interested to see what happens during the offseason. Because this Lamar Jackson saga, I think it's just the beginning. And I wouldn't put it past them that, you know, the Ravens will try to trade Lamar Jackson because they they couldn't come to terms with him, you know, on a long-term deal. And I just think that maybe this is the last time this season that we saw Lamar Jackson under center wearing a Ravens jersey. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's certainly the relationship doesn't look very good at this point because all along the t- the the timeline of this injury, Harbaugh was being real cagey with when he was being asked questions, but not in a way we're saying we're well, you know, we we're not going to put him out there if we feel he's not ready. I mean, typically that's what you hear, right? I mean, we're we're still, you know, it's not quite right yet. He's saying things like, oh, yeah, well, we expect to have him, you know, or it's, you know, a, a game time decision. He, I mean, he kind of kind of threw him under the bus, almost like saying, well, this is more Lamar's decision than it is ours. Um, but there is. Yeah, again, I mean, it just where there's smoke, there's fire. Some of this, the you know, again, you know, people will say, well, it's social media it doesn't mean anything. I don't know if a lot of his posts are showing like this, almost like breakup type messages or he's liking messages where it, where he's being like almost like the jilted lover. Um, it's, it's not good. And we talked about it, you know, during the off season, him acting as his own agent, this has all become very personal. He's taking it personally that they don't want to guarantee the whole contract. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is like a divorce, but is it going to come down to the point where they franchise him and he just says, I'm not playing? Yeah, that that would be really bad. But maybe they decide beforehand, hey, you know what? If we franchise him, he's only going to play one year. We don't know how hard he's going to play. You know, let's just get what we can at this point. You know, does Miami come in and blow them away with an offer? Hey, he's from South Florida. I think he would love to go to the Dolphins with those two receivers and every the, the run game that uh, that McDaniel employs. That would be perfect for him. Uh, do the Jets come up and say, "Hey, let's put for let's go for it here. We we've got the rest of the team in place. They're all young. We're not paying too many guys huge money. Let's do it." So, I mean, I think those would probably be the two landing spots that that would make the most sense and he'd be the best fit. Uh, And again, Jets have terrific weapons with Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. And uh, who's the who's the other receiver, the younger one, Elijah Moore Moore. from from Ole Miss Uh, and, you know, tight ends that can catch. And those guys would be loving it because you know how much he loves throwing to his tight end. So uh, I think this is going to happen. It's just a matter of how and when. Yeah, I just think they franchise tag him and they trade him. I think that seems to be the the logical choice here. I would actually trade him somewhere to the NFC so I wouldn't have to play him. I wouldn't trade him to any of the teams in the AFC. But I think a few NFC teams wouldn't mind having Lamar Jackson 
on their squad as well. Let's let's preview one, the, one more the, one more point before we go to the previews. We talked about a rookie head coach, you know, questionable in terms of clock, play call, management, and so forth. How about Harbaugh at the end of the game where you've got, again, a second-team quarterback. They're not an explosive offense. It's about a minute left in the game, and they're driving. They're on Cincinnati's side of the field. They're at, like, the 25-yard line. He hits a pass. And they go back and they huddle. They've, they're sitting on two timeouts now. Two, not one, two. And tick, 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 tick. And they're huddling and they're taking their time. And like, what are you doing? You don't have the type of offense where, hey, he's going to hit this pass. You know, Andrew's going to be go down the seam. We're going to score. And, you know, that's it. The game's it. No, it's it, you, you, that's not you. Right. But tick, tick, tick. The next play they run has got like 33 seconds. And it just to me, that was that was co coaching malfeasance or whatever you want to call it. That it just seemed criminal at that point. So anyway, let's go to the previews. What do you got, Alex? Well, I just think as much as I love this run by the Jacksonville Jaguars and they've had a great second half of the season and, and Trevor Lawrence looks like a top five quarterback already in this league, as much as as much success as Doug Peterson has had in the playoffs, this team is young. They're they've they've done all they could this season. They got their emotional win against the Chargers. Right now they're playing against the Chiefs. And, you know, with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, I just, it's going to be too much. It's going to be too much for them, I, I think, especially in the second half. You know, I wish some of these players had more experience in a playoff type of setting for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm going to go with your Kansas City Chiefs here. I just don't see how the Jags are going to pull off another upset like they did against the Jaguars. I mean, does this kind of line up as like last year's Bengals? Here they are, maybe a year ahead of time. You got the young quarterback, first overall pick, you know, former national champion or played in championship games in, in, in uh, Trevor's case. Um, I don't know. That, that's, you know, just again, as far as drawing similarities, but okay, you've got Peterson versus Reed, the pupil versus the teacher, Andy had him as a player. Uh, I think at Green Bay initially when it was, when he was on Holmgren staff uh, and Peterson was a backup, he brings him to Philadelphia. I think he was their starter the first year he was there, uh, had him as a coach, offensive coordinator uh, at Kansas City. I think he was maybe a quarterback coach or some other some other job in Philadelphia. But I mean, these he kind of he kind of created this. So, I mean, he has a lot of read type qualities as far as how he runs things very demanding but not demeaning players love him obviously trevor lawrence does uh but again i think again they're they're, they're a little bit ahead of schedule here so uh again i mean of course reed coming off a of bye whether it's the playoffs non-playoffs you gotta like that they're well rested they're fairly healthy the chiefs are i think mccall hardman's really the only one that looks like might not play Frank Clark should should be back. 
um, yeah, hard for me to, to see Jacksonville go in there. And again, with this young, inexperienced crew, uh, you know, the Chargers gave that game away. Uh, Jacksonville tried in the first half, but uh, yeah, this is, that's going to be a tough spot. The Bills against the Bengals, I think, is a game that a lot of people want to see. I think that's gonna that's a huge matchup out there. Obviously, with the two quarterbacks, with Josh Allen and and Joe the Cool Burrow. Um, you know, there's a lot to like in this game, but I'm gonna go with the Bills just because they're at home, and I think the they faced a test against the Dolphins. I think that was a wake up call. They realized that the Bengals are gonna be a lot tougher with that defense and. And that, you know, offensive explosion, especially at the quarterback and the wide receiver positions, um, you know, the, the Bills' strength has always been their secondary. And the, the fact that, you know, it's, they, they're coached really well. They know how to play against these, you know, high-scoring teams that like to air it out. And I just think the, the Buffalo Bills are up to the challenge. And call me... You know, I want to see the, the the matchup again. The Bills against the Chiefs, something that we had last year. The, the game that went down to the wire. The game that many people remember. I want to see it for the second straight year. And, um, you know, call me selfish. I think most people want to see that game. Well, they changed the rules after <laughs> after that game. Uh, they didn't change them after the New England-Kansas City uh, playoff game where Mahomes didn't get the ball. But, yeah, whatever. you know. And the Chiefs, I think, even, even proposed the rule change at that point. They kind of shut it down. But, hey, Josh Allen, Buffalo, let, let's give you another shot. Okay, so that's enough of my venting. I think both teams are going to play much better this week. I think I mentioned that before. You know, you're playing a division opponent third time. Uh, Baltimore, Cincinnati was the second time in a row. I mean, they played back to back weeks. The only difference was Huntley was, uh, healthy for the game and Anthony Brown didn't even go in where they were saying, well, maybe we'll use both quarterbacks, whatever. So the Cincinnati defense can't, comes up big. I think they're going to continue to come up big, uh, there's going to be a lot of emotions because, you know, we, we keep talking about the Bills emotions and so forth with with DeMar Hamlin and and the fact that, you know, he came out of the hospital much sooner. He was transferred to Buffalo much sooner than anybody expected. He left the Buffalo hospital most, you know, a lot sooner than expected. Last week, he didn't go to the game. I, I mean, if he's in the stadium this week for this game where it's Cincinnati, we don't talk enough, I think, about the emotions of the Bengals because they were on the field too. Granted, it's not their teammate, but it happened on their field. They had the sense that they were going to win that game and maybe at worst case be the two seed. And now they'd be hosting this game. So again, that emotion is, you know, it's going to be there. Interesting to see how, how it impacts the team. The other thing is their offensive line. I talked about it. They lost another, they lost Jonah Williams, this, this past week, you know, dislocated kneecap. I don't know, Patrick Mahomes, I don't know how many games he missed with that. Now, granted, he's an offense. Jonah Williams is an offensive lineman, but Cap is out. Lyle Collins is out. What are they going to do? Well, you saw a little bit of whether you get the ball out of Joe's hands a little bit quicker, lean a little bit more on the run game. You know, I don't know who wins the game, but I'm certainly going to take whatever points they're given. I think it's four and a half right now. Uh, I think Cincinnati's the side to be on here. I'm going to take Joe Burrow. And you just think the team that comes out of this game 
if Kansas City wins, it's almost like they have to win the Super Bowl three times, right? You got to beat one or the other, Buffalo or Cincinnati. Then you got to beat the Chiefs. And then you got to beat whoever the NFC throws at you with San Francisco. Whichever team wins the, the Super Bowl, especially if it comes from th this game, it's going to be an amazing run of three games. But I'm, I'm going to go with Joe Burrow here. Take the four and a half. I, I feel confident with Cincinnati and the points. All right, let's talk about the NFC. You've got the, the 49ers versus the Cowboys. We we already talked about the Dallas just playing lights out against the Bucks. You know, Dak Prescott looking like, you know, a franchise type of quarterback, but Dallas's defense is good. 49ers defense is elite. And I just think that the the Cowboys haven't faced a defense like this all year long. And again, this is a playoff rematch from last year when the 49ers won. And I think the 49ers would take this game again. Sure, Brock Purdy, the rookie quarterback, but he's not a rookie quarterback anymore. He's playing at a very good level. Uh, you know, they've got a very good run game. He's got the playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. I think Dak Prescott will make a couple of mistakes against that elite defense. And that will be enough to propel the 49ers to the NFC Championship game. This was an interesting one because I think the, the line opened at four, and which I thought was low, but has consistently been dropping to the point now where some places have it at San Francisco minus three. And you're thinking, what, what am I missing here? I mean, yes, you got the better defense, arguably the better offense, you got home field advantage. I think you, you may or may not have a coaching advantage, but that's you know to be debated another time. But what what are you doing? I mean, if you take Dallas, you're just hoping that the that the clock strikes twelve on Purdy, and now all of a sudden he plays a bad game and somehow turns it over a bunch of times. You've got a kicker that can't make an extra point. That's gonna. That's really gonna be. Again, we talked about it earlier. How confident are you gonna be marching him out there if you need a critical kick? Even if it's not critical, if you're missing kicks, you're leaving points. You know, to the other team, you're basically giving points away. So, I not feeling very good about that. The whole thing is this: is that the number is overrated because it's the Cowboys. And they typically have this effect. And just cow, there's so many Cowboys fans. I don't know if it's the money, usually the smaller tickets, if you would, the smaller bets that are coming through are that's typically the way it goes. When you see the big money coming down, and if you can get San Francisco minus three, my God, that that is value. That's like stealing. I'm not coming off of the Niners. I think they're the best team right now, and I am not coming off of them. So I'm going, right. I'm, I'm going Niners. Well, you did. I mean, you picked the Niners to make it to the Super Bowl in the beginning of the year, didn't you? Or no, the Packers? No, that was two years ago. <laughs> I had the Packers this year, and that obviously blew up in my face. But before the playoffs started, yeah, I mean, I, I've been sold on this team. Even when Jimmy got hurt, I just I just thought that just defensively, they're just so much better than everybody else if Purdy just didn't make mistakes. Well, he's at a point where he's not making mistakes, and he's making plays, super confident. Give me more Niners. All right, one last game, the, the final game. 
It's between the two divisional foes, the Giants, who just came off a huge win against the Vikings, versus the number one seed in the NFC, the, the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, the Eagles beat the Giants both times during the regular season. The, the last game, it was the last regular season game, uh, the Eagles won 22-16. to 16. You know what, Lou? I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here. I have to go with one upset. I've picked the Chiefs. I've picked the Bills. I've picked the 49ers. There has to be one upset this weekend. I'm taking the Giants this week. I just, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. I think they keep it close. I think Jalen Hurts might not be 100%. The, the Giants offensive line is playing much better. I think they'll be able to control the clock, make enough plays. They know the Eagles all too well. And I think third time is going to be the charm for the Giants to make it to the NFC Championship game. I'm certainly taking the points on the road. And I think the Giants are plus seven and a half. But yeah. I'm going a step further. I'm going to say the Giants win this game straight up. All right. I'm taking them to take it home and... And face the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. I won't go as, so far as to say that they're going to win the game, but I'm certainly going to take the seven and a half. I mean, there, there's some value there. Like we said, third time division opponent. Uh, the two two other similar situations last week showed up where the underdog had every chance to win the game. I mean, that Miami Buffalo line ballooned to like 14 once it was determined Skylar Thompson was the quarterback and Buffalo was lucky to survive. Same thing with Cincinnati. That was, that line went up to like eight, you know, by kickoff time. I had hovered like it may have been as high as eight and a half down to eight, but again, is over a touchdown. But yeah, these teams hate each other, a lot of emotions. And but for that fumble at the at the goal line going in by Baltimore, we'd be having a much different conversation. And Baltimore, uh, Baltimore would be advancing. So the points are at a premium here. Philadelphia's defense is certainly much better than Minnesota's, but to me, the Giants have an identity. They know who they are. But Lou. Philadelphia, when they were healthy, crushed this team at, at Giants Stadium like four or five weeks ago. Well, that's the key. It was four or five weeks ago. Uh, Jalen Hurts was still healthy and chucking the ball and running the ball. And it was just like, wow, if they could have played the, played the playoffs then, I think Philadelphia may just kind of like mowed everybody down. But now Alex mentioned it. You know, yeah, he doesn't have an injury designation coming into the game. But Hertz really hasn't had that type of game in since that Giants game. So again, seven and a half is a huge value, hard to pass up. But but I'll stick with it. Dayball has brought an identity to this team. They know who they are. The familiarity is just too too much to see a blowout here. So I'm going to go Giants. So Giants, Bengals, and and the Niners for me. Again, 3-0 and last week, San Francisco, Jacksonville, and the Giants. You see a familiar theme to some point there. I didn't pick the Jags. I didn't pick the Chiefs. You know where my heart is. I can't pick against them, and I'm not going to pick on them either. So that one I will abstain, but uh, I think you know where I'm, where I'm looking at there. Well, Lou has been on, on a roll this entire season, especially in the second half, and he uh, – you know, he took it home and 3-0 and in a wild card round. So 
Take those picks to the bank, Lou. I guess that's the kiss of death, right? Yeah. Well, I will. I don't know if anybody else will, but uh, based on our, our, uh, our listener numbers going up a little bit, maybe maybe they're maybe they're doing okay too. So for Alex, I'm Lou. Uh, go ahead and subscribe. And hey, even if you just want to listen to the end for the picks, no problem. We understand. So. Uh, uh, Again, until next week, super, uh, super divisional round. No, just the divisional round. The best weekend in the NFL. These are the, the best eight teams. Have at it. Two full days of football. Gotta love it. Till next time. Peace.